Hey, what time is it? everybody, this is Val, and you're listening to Terror is a Mood podcast. Welcome back. I hope you've been having a great week. It has been super busy for us on our end, but I'm always grateful for the fall because it's just the best weather. Sweater weather. You know, sweater weather. It's the best. I am going to be solo today since I just couldn't coordinate my schedule with others to make sure we record together, but... I'm excited, and I hope you all enjoy this. I'm normally someone who needs that feedback from people to just enjoy myself while I'm telling these stories, but I listen to plenty of podcasts that don't have, you know, co-hosts. It's just a narrator telling us a story, so this is going to be my first shot at that, and I hope you all enjoy it. Today we're going to be talking about Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke. Consider this your trigger warning, everyone. This case does involve the death of a young child. Today's story is one of the scarier ones that I've heard about and have to relay, and it's just because it's something that you don't think will ever happen. I'm a mom. Russ and I have four little guys. I mean, not so little, but we have four boys, and just the thought of something like this ever happening would truly be my worst nightmare. So let's talk about these two folks. Today I'm going to tell you the story of Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke. These two were a very unlikely pair. To start, Jasmine was 12 and Jeremy was 23 when they committed their crimes. Jasmine Richardson was a typical preteen. She was remembered as a wholesome Catholic schoolgirl with dark hair and a sweet smile. She was a great big sister to her brother Jacob, who was four years younger than her, but even though she was a great sister at the time, that would definitely change. It was around the time that she discovered goth culture that Jasmine totally, completely did a 180 personality-wise, fashion-wise. After embracing the subculture, she was found in fishnets, all-black clothes, mesh, and heavy dark makeup. And while according to the Daily News, that's the uniform of all goth gals, Apparently, it was also topped off with chasing unsuitable men. And I'm pretty sure I had a goth phase. It wasn't really goth. It was more just like edgy, in my opinion. I guess chasing unsuitable men was a thing I did, but not really. Anyhow, different stories have different origins for how the pair met, with one site stating they met at a mall and another stating they met at a punk rock concert in 2006. Most of the sources I read do state that they met at a concert, so I want to stick with that one. A lot of sources also stated that the pair were engulfed in online chat rooms and other online goth social networks like VampireFreaks.com. Jasmine's handle was Runaway Devil, and she claimed she was 15 on these sites. Jeremy Steinke's was Soul Eater. Either way, the pair became enamored with each other and started dating. Goth, where did that go? So I thought I'd do a little research on just goth culture in general because I wanted to know, like, where did, where did this start? 
So goth, or at least the movement as we know it, began in the late 1960s. Apparently, it was used to describe the Doors. So Jim Morrison might have been the first modern goth, as one music critic coined the term gothic rock when he described a Doors gig. And after reading that Jim Morrison was the first goth, I decided to listen to gothic rock as I wrote the rest of the story. So, even though Jim Morrison was described as, you know, a first modern goth, it goes back way farther than that. The author Horace Walpole was the first to ever use the term gothic, describing his 1764 novel, The Castle of Otranto. I hope I pronounced all that correctly. He was describing the architecture, apparently implying that these stories, these sorts of tales, would take place in pseudo-medieval buildings, which he happened to admire and live in himself. But when I was thinking about this, didn't everyone live either, you know, on the streets or in castles? Excuse my dog. They want to come hang out. One poet, Thomas Gray, said that Holpace's book made some people cry and afraid to go to bed at night. Of course. Then came the rest of the goth books we love today, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights. So that was just a little, a little goth knowledge for you. So let's go back to the story. Unlike Jasmine, Jeremy Sankey had a rough upbringing. His mother, Jacqueline May, said he was constantly bullied as a child. He was medicated for depression and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. He also used marijuana daily. He was known to cut himself and attempted suicide via hanging at least once, once he was 13. His mom had a drinking problem and also battled with depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. Jeremy's father was also known to beat him with belts and drag him to bed by the ears. Her second husband used a paint stick to swat Jeremy, and her third husband once pushed Jeremy's head into a deep freezer. It was said that when his mom was on the stand recounting his life, Jeremy placed his head in his hands and sobbed for the first time during the trial. Jacqueline would also say that Jeremy got along with people who were younger than him because they were more accepting than people his own age, the same ones who always bullied him. So Jeremy was a high school dropout who lived with his mom in a trailer when he met Jasmine. He was also telling people at the time, including Jasmine, that he was a 300-year-old werewolf with a love of the taste of blood. Once Jasmine's parents discovered her relationship with Stanky, they had the typical reaction of cutting off her contact with Jeremy and grounding her. I mean, honestly, what parent would be like, cool, he's 23, yes, my 12-year-old daughter, please continue dating. Of course, Jasmine and Jeremy still found ways to talk to each other, sending love notes often. One note Jeremy sent said, you were a sight for sore eyes and I miss you more than killing people. Can we get together and kill people together? Shakespeare who? Her parents found this note and immediately took the computer away and started going to family counseling. Once Jasmine seemed to be positively responding to the therapy, they gave her the computer back with a stern warning to stay away from older creeps like Jeremy. Another message Stanky wrote on his Windows Live Spaces account about her parents read, Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit they have done especially when I see to it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. So that giving the computer back to their daughter, unfortunately, would be a fatal mistake. 
On April 23, 2006, Jacob's neighbor headed over to their house for a play date they had scheduled. Remember, her little brother was eight. So one of his friends had gone over to their house because of the play date they had planned together. But there was no answer. The neighbor apparently peeked through the basement window and ran home telling his mother he thought he saw a body. She immediately called the police. The police arrived at the home and found the dead bodies of Deborah and Mark in the basement. Those were Jasmine's parents. Mark had been stabbed 24 times and Deborah had 12 stabs. Blood was everywhere, but they weren't done. Upstairs, they found Jacob in his bed with his throat slashed and surrounded by his blood-soaked toys. While going through the house, one investigator noticed a family picture, including Jasmine, and searched the house for her but couldn't find her. Their immediate fear was that someone killed the family and kidnapped Jasmine. Only a day later, however, police received a tip that Jasmine and Jeremy were at a party the night before, and they were boasting about killing her parents with Jeremy saying he gutted them like a fish. The couple were caught trying to escape in a pickup truck a friend of theirs was driving shortly after. In custody, Jasmine said she was unhappy at home because she was forbidden from seeing Jeremy. She also said she came home and found her family slaughtered before running to Jeremy. Then her story changed, and she said Jeremy murdered them all. Stikey confessed to killing her parents, but insisted that Jasmine was the one to kill her brother. Jasmine's story about her brother would also change. First, she said Stanky did it. Then she said that she ended Jacob's life because it was just too sad to leave him as an orphan. She recalled hearing the boy gurgle as he died. Their motives never changed, however, with both saying they killed for love. Jasmine was upset by her parents interfering in her relationship with Jeremy, and she had started plotting their deaths a month before the murder. In one online note she wrote to Soul Eater, she wrote, So I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. She's so juvenile. She's such a child. So let's talk about the night of the murder and what would eventually come out. One friend of Stanky's testified he was asked to help kill the girl's parents. Another said Stanky watched his favorite movie, Natural Born Killers, The Night of the Murders, and said his girlfriend would be the one to kill her brother. The film by Oliver Stone was about a couple who goes on a bloody rampage. The movie was based in part on the deadly road trip of Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate, teenage lovers who murdered nine people in 1958. Steinke was convinced the movie was a love story. So the night of April 22, 2006, Steinke said Jasmine telephoned him in the middle of the night, asking him to help her sneak out so they could be together. Steinke arrived at the family's darkened house hours later, high on cocaine and drunk. He was carrying a knife in his hoodie pocket and dressed in black, wearing a ski mask. The girl's mother came down the stairs and screamed when she was face-to-face with a masked intruder. The girl's father came at him with a screwdriver. He managed to choke Steinke and jammed a finger in his eye. Both parents bled to death in the basement. Upstairs, Stanky says he watched as the girl slit her brother's throat. He said he never touched the boy. The court heard evidence that the father's blood was found on Stanky's clothes. The boy's blood was found on one of his shoelaces. So two hours after the deaths, Jasmine and Stanky were seen laughing and kissing at a restaurant, and also, you know, they were caught at that party where they were bragging about what they did. 
Friends testified Stanky showed them his wounded eye, admitted killing his girlfriend's parents, and said she killed her brother. One friend said Stanky confessed again, but he gutted them like a fish. Two friends testified they wiped blood splotches off the seats of Stanky's truck for him and parked it out of sight. The pair were arrested with friends early the next morning in Leader, Saskatchewan, after police surrounded them as they were trying to sleep in a pickup truck. Taped conversation between Stanky and an undercover police officer posing as a fellow inmate in prison featured Stanky taking credit for stabbing the girl's parents and said his girlfriend killed her brother once again. Stanky was heard saying he tried to talk his girlfriend Jasmine out of it, but she wouldn't have it. Well, he was a man of his word. And I looked at the transcripts for this jailhouse confession, and he he just keeps saying, you know, my old lady, gotta keep her happy, and my old lady this, and my old lady that, and I tried to talk my old lady out of this. She was 12. Stanky also revealed to the undercover officer that the father's dying words included the question, why? Stanky replied, because your daughter wanted it that way. So cold. On the stand, he denied exchanging any words with the father during their battle, however. Jurors endured graphic photos and blood spatter evidence. The mother had suffered 12 stab wounds, and again, the father was stabbed 24 times. Her little brother Jacob's throat was slashed open, and he had four other stab wounds in his chest. Forensic evidence showed he was also choked. The suburban home's walls were dripping with blood. They also saw black-handled kitchen knives believed to be their murder weapons. A knife found by the father's body in the bloodied basement was bent wildly out of shape. It was buckled in the middle and curved at its tip like a hook. So shortly after the pair was arrested, Stanky asked her to marry him while they were incarcerated via letters from his prison cell, and she said, yes, unbelievable. So now for the trial. On July 9th, 2007, Jasmine Richardson was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder in the killings. On November 8, 2007, she was sentenced to the maximum penalty of 10 years imprisonment. Her sentence included credit for the 18 months she had already spent in custody, to be followed by four years in a psychiatric institution and four and a half years under conditional supervision in the community. On December 15, 2008, Stanky was sentenced to three life sentences on each of the three counts of first-degree murder. The sentences were to be served concurrently, and he will be eligible for parole after serving 25 years. It's even crazier than this whole story is that in September 2011, Jasmine Richardson, who has now changed her name, was a freshman at the University of Calgary who was in the final years of her sentence. She will have been free one year after graduating in 2015. Jasmine Richardson was believed to be the youngest person ever convicted of multiple murders in Canada. It's really tragic that, yes, she was a child and she did these things, but also she planned these things. She planned to kill her parents. And I just, I get it. She was a kid, but now she's out free and living her life under some name. I didn't even try to look it up, but I think that's insane. While Jeremy, who was also really young and immature and is stuck in prison for 25 years. So when Jeremy was asked why he had murdered Jasmine's family, Jeremy said, when you find your soulmate, you do anything for them. I did anything. And again, just even while they were in prison, the pair continued to send each other letters, professing their love to one another. Now, 
Over 12 years from the horrific massacre that shocked Medicine Hat Canada, Jasmine is walking free. She was released on parole in 2016 at the age of 23. If she remains out of trouble, the murders will be removed from her criminal record next year. The now 25-year-old is living in a secret location under a new identity. And that was all just based on articles that I had read. Although it's been reported that she has responded well to rehabilitation, it is not known whether she still talks to Jeremy or not. And he actually changed his name as well to Jackson May in 2012, May of course being his mother's last name. He attempted to seek an appeal in 2012, but was told his notice of appeal was out of time. As it was his first time ever being incarcerated, Jeremy tried arguing that he didn't know the rules and he couldn't get a lawyer. He was asking for an extension to see if the court permitted an appeal. He'll contact legal aid to cover the cost of a lawyer. His trial lawyer, Alan Hepner, said he was recently contacted by legal aid to provide an opinion on whether an appeal would be worth pursuing, but Hepner has yet to give an opinion. So Jeremy Steinke is still serving his three concurrent life sentences without parole for a minimum of 25 years. And that's it, you all. A little spooky werewolf in this episode, but truly more terrifying is, you know, the thought of a child killing their parents. I know I've talked to Russ about this before, but we aren't strict parents. We have roles, we have expectations for our own kids, and we're more of a privilege taker than punishing people in our family. So, you know, they'll lose access to their phones or to the internet for the day. And every time we do it, and if there is some kind of reaction, which is never truly terrible, but I'm always like, Russ, is this it? Are they going to kill us while we sleep because we took away their PlayStation? Not to joke about this, it does happen. But that is all for today. Terror is a Mood podcast was short and sweet. I hope you enjoyed the story. Thank you for listening. I'm going to try and maintain a social media presence this week. I will be traveling over the weekend, so it'll be a little more challenging than usual, but I think I've got it. Again, this is the story of Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke. Please get on our social media and comment and reply and share us with your friends to let people know Terror is a Mood podcast is awesome. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember, moody people live longer. Bye.